Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Another exciting show on tap before we get to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois on Tuesday. We got a few different issues we want to talk about here on today's program. Joining us in segment two will be Mike Seifert from the National Grain and Feed Association. Marty Irby, the president of Competitive Markets Action, will join us in segment three to give their side of the Eats Act story. And then in segment four, we're going to be joined by former Secretary of Agriculture under the Clinton administration, Dan Glickman. He recently wrote an op-ed that caught my eye, and I wanted him to talk about it. We're going to be joined by him coming up here in segment four today. Right now, though, kicking off the show, let's talk with the CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam Corals is with us. Cam, great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Jesse, doing great. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for the time. A couple things we want to talk about. The first one, we've been following the potato wart issue on Prince Edward Island, and I know that uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency has completed their sampling uh, on PEI. So what's the latest with uh, what they found as they've wrapped up their sampling? I think, Jesse, generally good news. They've completed 50,000 soil samples, which was kind of a precursor. Uh, It was one of their original commitments to figuring out where the disease was on the island, where it wasn't. They've gone through all of those soil samples. Uh, I think the news generally is fairly good. It doesn't appear that it's spread widely all over uh, Prince Edward Island. Um, So now... They, they have the data, both the Canadians as well as USDA, to, to, um, to assess what the situation is and then be able to stand up some additional mitigation that should provide security both to the rest of Canada as well as to us who are receiving their exports. Well, and that's a, a good news to hear. And obviously with potato wart, you know, we're doing everything. We want to make sure it stays out of the U.S., obviously, Cam. I mean, uh, it could be a, a very devastating disease for potato crops, can it? Yeah, uh, if it got into the U.S., uh, I, I think it, it, it's it's very conservative to say that this would be a multi-billion dollar negative impact on the U.S., not just the, the, the potato industry in the U.S., but the economy overall. Um, th- again, this is one of these diseases incredibly hardy. Once it gets into the soil, very difficult to get it out. Um, so, we, you know, we want to make sure that everything is being done uh, by USDA as well as the the Canadian counterparts uh, to, to minimize any possibility that this might get exported to the U.S. Well, Cam, let's switch gears. Let's talk potato exports here from the U.S. And it's looking like America's pota- potato exports uh, reaching some record values here, especially uh, since uh, June going back to last summer. I mean, you think about Mexico getting opened up to uh, potato exports from the U.S. and more, and it looks like that's helping us uh, increase some of that value here from uh, from the U.S. for our uh, potato growers. Yeah, it's uh, you know very very impressive statistics, Jesse. Uh, you, uh, roughly one in every five rows of potatoes has to find a home in offshore 
markets. Um, and we, you know, obviously we lump Canada and Mexico, even though they don't have to, we don't have to cross the ocean to get there. Um, but a very, very impressive numbers. The, um, the potato industry overall, uh, we're, we're absolutely export dependent. Uh, Japan, Canada, Mexico, uh, South Korea, Philippines, all huge markets for us. And uh, I, I think what you're seeing in in these numbers, and we're hitting all-time record levels in terms of exports, what you're seeing in these numbers is a solid recovery from the, all of the challenges that everyone faced uh, from the from the pandemic. We're talking with Cam Corals, the CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam, let's talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. We are uh, getting ready to come back out of the August recess. We got a farm bill. We got appropriations. Got a lot of things in front of us here that uh, many of which doesn't sound like we're going to get them done by the September 30th deadline. What's the latest you're hearing on Capitol Hill, Cam? Yeah, I, you know, I think in in terms of farm bill, Jesse, uh, we're we're very hopeful that both the House and Senate Agriculture Committees, when they come back here just in a few days, are going to begin uh, what's called the markup process, where they release uh, the new farm bill the draft bill to the public, uh, as well as to their own members. And then they'll go through it in an open committee process and start start shaping that up, editing that draft, and getting it ready to go across the respective floors. Uh, September 30th, it's it's a real challenge. They, we have uh, very few days in which to, to get that done. I, I think the, the committees, the leadership, um, both House and Senate, Everything that is under their control, they're doing to try to set themselves up for success. But so much of this process is out of their control, as you can imagine. So uh, we're, from the industry point of view, both the potato industry, the larger specialty crop industry, we've been in, engaging really closely with the staff who are preparing uh, these these draft bills uh, to to finally be revealed to the public. We think there's going to be a lot of positives in there uh, for our industry moving forward for the next five years. And it seems like with everything going on there in D.C., at the end of the day, getting this done correctly is maybe a little more important than getting it done by September 30th. I know a lot of folks still pointing to, at least by the end of the calendar year, we should definitely need to get this done. But getting it done right seems to be a common theme I hear a lot, Cam. No, you're absolutely right, and that's a great observation, Jesse. Whenever we have a deadline put in in front of us, and we have to race to the deadline, bad things happen. And uh, I, I, I think, given the gravity, the importance of U.S. farm policy to specialty crops, and, and really the you know American consumers uh, across the board. Getting it done right is vastly more important than missing a a deadline that's important. Uh, September 30th, when the farm bill expires, it's important, but it, it's it's much different than than what we see in the appropriations process, where you have a government shutdown the very next day. Uh, farm bill, there's a little bit more flexibility there. Getting it done right is, as you as you say, that is absolutely the right thing to do. Cam, great thoughts. Before we let you go, anything final you would uh, want to share with us here today on AOA? Well, I, I think, you know, last thing, Jesse, is just the, the appropriations process. 
Uh, we're very hopeful that we're not going to go into a government shutdown mode. That's got a lot of impacts for uh, all of the various operations of USDA. The clock is ticking on that one. And uh, it, it seems that folks are, are to some degree digging in and making the possibility of a government shutdown that much more likely. We obviously do not want to see that happen. We've got a lot of projects that need to continue. And uh, uh, we're, we're hoping that a negotiated settlement can keep things, th- keep things going. We don't need that volatility in an otherwise very volatile market. That is a great point, and I think a great spot for us to wrap up here today. We've been talking with the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Corals. Cam, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA, and we'll get you back on the show soon. Great to talk to you, Jesse. Thank you. And you can learn more about what's going on with the National Potato Council online, nationalpotatocouncil.org. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn about some of the issues, transportation, logistics, and more that are on the minds of the National Grain and Feed Association. Their president and CEO, Mike Seifert, joins us after the break here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Back with more right after this. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. 
Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, as we are joined now by Mike Seifert, the president and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association, NGFA. Mike, it's great to have you back on AOA with us. I hope you're doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back on and uh, hope you and all your listeners had a great weekend. Yeah, thank you for the time. I appreciate it very much. Uh, had an awesome weekend gearing up for the Farm Progress show here the next couple of days. going to be a lot of fun, but uh, definitely uh, going to be watching the temps, make sure they don't increase on us here like we saw this heat last week yeah. <laughs> across the country. Uh, Mike, we got a few different things to talk about. Uh, first off, I know this past week you guys celebrated Harvest Safety Week 2023. I just want to touch on that real quick. Uh, before we dive into some policy discussion and logistics, obviously harvest right around the corner for many of our yep. uh, farmers across the country. And I just think a general reminders about being safe when you're out in the field is so, so crucial, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, both for the producer level and, and at the facility levels, whether it's the elevator, the processing plants. And, I mean, you know, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, and I think most of our member companies all will tell you that their number one focus is safety. Everybody who's working is somebody's dad, somebody's mom, somebody's spouse or, uh, you know, son or daughter. And we want to make sure everyone goes home safe every night. And, and that's really the focus of Harvest Safety Week is just to say, hey, we we know we're heading into that busy time of the year. And, you know, sometimes when you're rushed, sometimes when you're in a hurry, sometimes when you're stressed, it's easy to kind of forget about some of those common sense safety things that you'd be focusing on in a, in a normal instance. And so that's really what this whole week uh, was that we did last week. Um, we had a different um, presentation focus on different areas of safety. Um, and that is something that any of your listeners can go onto the NGFA website at ngfa.org um, and go under our safety tabs and they can pull up any of those videos. They're available to anyone and a good way to really just kind of get some quick reminders of, hey, these are some of the things maybe we want to be thinking about um, as we're gearing up here and prepping for harvest. Fantastic. And again, I know folks could find all that online, ngfa.org. Mike, let's talk transportation, logistical issues. I know we've had our problems uh, with rail, with truck, with low water levels on the Mississippi River and more. Get us up to speed. What are some things you're watching right now? Are we still looking at some challenges as we head into fall harvest? You know, there, there's all, always some challenges, uh, I, I think. But but I would say is that year over year, uh, you know, particularly let's start with rail. Um, you know, I, I think particularly year over year, and, and if you look back where we were a year and a half ago on rail, we're we're in a, a much better spot than we than we were. Now, part of that is you know year to date, um, grain demand uh, or grain demand for rail service is lower in 20, 2023 than it was in twenty twenty two by about ten percent. Uh, a lot of that decline is in uh, the Western Corn Belt and the Plain States, obviously, because of the smaller crops uh, we had in some areas in 22 due, due to drought. And, and you've seen, um, you know, some declines in the export market. Um, but having said that, I mean, I think, you know, 
Um, we've had really good conversations uh, with all the class one carriers and uh, they have really good communication. And, and you know, and I do want to, uh, there's always pockets where there's some, some issues, but I want to, you know, I do want to give some credit where, where it's due. And I've said this publicly uh, to the STB chairman and others, but you know, if you look uh, year over year and the most recent numbers we have uh, were August 16th of this year, but there were 975 loaded green cars that hadn't moved in 48 hours. And that compares to 2000, 380 um, at the time of the STB hearing on these issues in April 22. But where we've really seen some, I think some real improvements are on the unfilled grain car orders. 11, as of August 16th, 11, those that were requested 11 or more days, 52 unfilled orders versus 9,492 at the time of the STB hearing. And on dwell time, it was 42.3 hours at uh, the time of the hearing, and it's now down to 20 hours. So again, uh, not that there aren't issues in some areas, but uh, as a whole, we've seen real improvement there. And um, I think we've worked real hard with our, our class one providers on, on that area. Uh, trucking costs, obviously, um, we still see some challenges, some short labor shortages in areas on trucking, which does mm-hmm. uh, create a challenge. But we've seen the trucking t- costs come down um, and we've seen trucking rates soften some this year uh, as well. And then on the river, obviously, um, uh, the low water levels were a, a concern last year. Um, water levels have already been down some this year. And certainly um, with some of the heat and some of the drought we've been seeing, I know that that is something um, our members are going to be watching very closely, particularly um, as we get into the, uh, the, the heart of harvest season here. Uh, and so, you know, I think um, as a whole, I think we're we're better right now than we were a year ago, but there's certainly uh, areas that we're continuing to to watch with caution. Well, Mike, let's uh, focus on another issue as well. You mentioned this to me before we jumped on the air, uh, the uh, Snake River system and looking at some of the removal of dams on that uh, river system in the PNW. And it might not be something that folks think about as a a national issue, but it it seems like they they might want to think about that as more of a national issue just with some of the movement of grain from the Northern Plains out of the PNW and the use of that river system. Can you talk about some of the latest there? Yeah, you know, I think when folks talk about the uh, Columbia Snake River system in the in the PNW, I think the initial thought is to think if you're in the Midwest or central part of the country, oh, that, that's a Northwest issue. That's not my not something for me to worry about. I don't think folks realize that um, that export corridor is the third largest ag export river corridor in the world and approximately 30 percent of all the u.s grain and oilseed exports go out through the columbia snake river corridor that's um barge a lot of which is wheat um but you do have some corn and beans that get transferred into the barge but then a significant amount uh of corn and beans that go out through the rail system uh over the mountains and through the pnw and so that whole corridor 30% of our exports. Um, been a lot of uh, proposals, discussion. Uh, there's currently a federal mediation process, a court order, um, where potentially those dams could be breached. If those dams were, were to be breached, you could be looking at upwards of, you, you would lose all that river exports. And not only would you lose the most efficient uh, carbon-friendly method of moving grain and oil seeds that we have down the river, but by moving those, removing those dams, you would be putting upwards of probably between 150, 200,000 extra trucks on the road every year 
to try and make up for that lost capacity. Uh, in addition to, there would only be so much that you could absorb onto the rail system. And so it really is a, a, a real impact that we'd be looking at, not just in the PNW, but what that would mean, particularly for corn and beans back into the interior. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's something we've been watching very closely. Um, I was on a tour uh, out there with some policymakers last week uh, to, to really make sure that our the folks in Washington understand just how important that corridor is, not just to the PNW, but to, to U.S. agriculture as a whole. Um, but certainly something, um, if, if your listeners haven't looked at, um, I would recommend they do. Uh, a recent study by the Pacific Northwest Waterways Association said that if those dams were breached, um, it would increase transportation and environmental costs in the U.S. by at least $7.3 billion over 30 years. Um, and that it would risk bankrupting more than 7,600 farms, generating $2 billion in annual sales in, in that tri-strait region um, uh, of Washington, Idaho, and Oregon. And so significant impacts for the region, significant impacts for U.S. agriculture if that were to happen. Well, Mike, uh, before we let you go as well, want to just touch on farm bill, trade, other policy items that are happening, uh, you know, and at the forefront right now for NGFA. Uh, obviously, farm bill, you know, we're trying to figure that out in D.C. here over the next few weeks and more. Uh, any final thoughts, anything else going on, farm bill, trade, et cetera, here uh, that NGFA is watching closely? Sure. Obviously, we are watching the farm bill process very closely. Uh, and you know, priorities there are maintaining a market-oriented, decoupled uh, farm program uh, through the commodity titles, which I, I think everybody in Washington seems to agree on. One thing we really want to focus on as well is the working lands conservation programs, making sure uh, land is staying in production. We've learned a lot about global food security in the last year and a half with Ukraine, uh, and we don't want to see prime farmland taken out uh, in land idling programs. And so we think those working land programs are, are really important. Uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Booker have a uh, CRP Reform Act, uh, which would cap CRP acreage at 24 million acres, focus really on enrolling marginal farmland, and also uh, puts in some rental rate protections to make sure that new and beginning and socially disadvantaged farmers can compete in, in being able to get land. And so those are real priorities for us moving moving into the farm bill, and and I think you know we've been working in lockstep with a number of other organizations uh, on those priorities. And then on the trade front, uh, I would just say uh, we would applaud and we would thank uh, uh, the Biden administration and Trade Rep Ty, uh, Secretary Vilsack, and, and Under Secretary Taylor, uh, and Ambassador McCaleb on the action that they've taken uh, regarding biotech corn with with Mexico. Uh, in the case that was filed here in the last week or so. We think that's an important step, uh, something very important to, uh, to our members and U.S. agriculture as a whole. Uh, and that's something we, we encourage them to continue moving forward on as well. Mike, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Happy to do it anytime. All right. That's Mike Seifert, the president and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association. Up next, Marty Irby with Competitive Markets Action here on AOA. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 
Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mixed this morning. Soybeans are higher. Wheat is lower with Kansas City taking the brunt of that. Corn is cut somewhere in the middle, but on the positive side. Livestock is mixed. Feeders are higher. Fats and hogs are lower. Now on Friday, Pro Farmer released its yield estimates following a week of touring the Midwest corn and soybean crops. The publication pegged this year's corn crop at 172 bushels per acre while putting the soybean crop at 49.7 bushels. Both came in below USDA's August estimate of 175.1 for corn and 50.9 for beans. The market saw those as reasonable estimates that may still slip lower in the current weather pattern. Now it's very mild across the Midwest this morning, although heat is expected to rebuild across the region as we head into the Labor Day holiday weekend, with much of September expected to see above normal readings, although normal is starting to trend lower as we move into autumn. Scatter showers are also expected, but an overall dry pattern will likely remain in play across the majority of the egg belt over the next couple of weeks. Now, drooping ears were observed in some cornfields with increased incidents last week. The drooping ear problem was seen most prevalent in Nebraska, western Iowa, and southeastern Minnesota. Those were areas that saw extreme stress at times this growing season. Now, it's not every ear in that area either. Pro Farmer says that they accounted for the drooping ear problem in their yield estimate that they released on Friday, which suggests that while it is a significant problem in the fields in which it is occurring, it's not a significant problem relative to the crop as a whole. Now, the primary focus will continue to be on the potential additional soybean losses due to pod abortion or small beans in the pod, since that crop has a very tight balance sheet this year, while both crude oil and the dollar are trading up. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA as we continue here on the program and we learn more about the EATS Act. This is something that is in Congress right now, is introduced in the Senate and the House, and there is a a lot of talk about this legislation and a lot of talk on both sides for and against this EATS Act. Joining us now to talk about their side and their view of what this legislation is and would do, Marty Irby, president of Competitive Markets Action, is with us today. Marty, thanks for making the time to join us here on AOA. Absolutely, Jesse. Glad to be here with you all and appreciate the opportunity. Well, let's talk about the EATS Act first. And can you just, for folks who maybe they've they've heard the term, they haven't really dove into what exactly this legislation is, can you just give us a brief overview of what exactly the EATS Act is, Marty? Yes, well, the uh, name of the bill is actually the Ending Agriculture Trade Suppression is what EAT stands for. Act H.R. 4417 and S-2019 in the Senate, led by Congresswoman Ashley Henson from Iowa and Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. Uh, It's basically a revamped version of what former Congressman Steve King from Iowa led in the previous two farm bills. Uh, It's a measure that would nullify state-level and local-level laws and ordinances related to agriculture and animal welfare. And then it also goes far more beyond that. It's very expansive, uh, which is one of the major problems with it. And so we're fighting to prevent this from getting into the Farm Bill. I led a campaign back in 2017 and 18 to defeat the old King Amendment. And uh, had some folks who were very interested in working on this issue with both Competitive Markets Action and the Organization for Competitive Markets and a broader coalition of folks we're working with. And uh, really believe that this is a terrible, terrible threat to states' rights. Uh, We could talk about the policy as it relates to pork confinement and animal welfare. And that is one aspect of this. But the broader theme is really that this goes so far and is so overreaching that it would even potentially nullify the state law in Kentucky that makes Kentucky bourbon bourbon. So when you think about things like that, along with other agriculture issues in the dairy, uh, poultry, beef and pork industry, it's a serious threat to independent family farmers who have had to go out there and create new markets to be able to compete with industrial agriculture and a lot of folks in the organic space as well. Well, Marty, uh, a few things for us to discuss here. It feels like this legislation has kind of come back around on the table uh, with all the discussion surrounding Prop 12 in California and obviously the Supreme Court case there, Question 3 in Massachusetts, looking at the animal welfare side of it first before we talk about the, the state's rights side of this it feels like this legislation's kind of come back around maybe maybe in response to some of those things but it's it's interesting that it's all this timing is kind of lining up here right now yes it is and you know one of the things with prop 12 i think that is important for the listeners out there to know is that the majority of the court the supreme court of the united states which is a conservative court voted to uphold prop 12 neil gorsuch wrote the decision and amy coney barrett also went with him as well as clarence thomas on the vote so we had the majority of conservatives there that are supporting this position to uphold a state election and i think that's something that people need to think about the voters of california voted by an overwhelming margin to put prop 12 in place back in 2018 
There was plenty of time. It's been five years now almost. The thing has just taken effect. And what we're seeing is an opportunity for new markets to be created for producers, not only in California, but in other states, neighboring California, to have an opportunity to refine their products and sell them there. And so for Congress to go in and just want to overturn an election, I think is a very serious matter because this wasn't something that was passed by a state legislature. It was the will of the actual American voting people. Well, and to your point about states' rights, uh, obviously this EATS Act, it, it really it really puts a light on, on the whole issue of states' rights versus what the federal government can, can't do, et cetera. And it, it really kind of, it all, it all comes back to that, doesn't it, Marty? Absolutely. You know, and a lot of the people that are proponents of the EATS Act are saying, well, we don't want California's rules to apply to the products we're producing in our state. And the answer to that is don't sell in California. You have 48 other states or 47 other states that don't have a policy like this. I believe Massachusetts and Florida do as well. Massachusetts was something else that was voted on by the will of the voters there. And so there are markets all over the world um, or more than 100 different markets for pork all over the world. Plus, you have 47 or 48 other states. And so no one in California is forcing you to sell their product there. Uh, What they do want is for a product to be held to a certain standard. Uh, whether it's for animal welfare reasons or sustainable agriculture reasons, the environment, or even just public health, uh, they have the right to that. And I think one thing that's interesting that people really haven't uh, been aware of or been made aware of, this is a little bit in the weeds, but this actually, this law in California only applies to whole cuts of pork. So it would apply to a ham, a pork chop, or whatnot, it wouldn't apply to process things um, like hot dogs. It wouldn't apply to sliced ham and things like that that are prepackaged. So it's actually a very small percentage of the pork that's actually produced and or sold to California and in California that this impacts. And I think they've blown it up much greater than it actually is. But again, it is what it is. It's a state law. It's on the books. The voters voted for it. And regardless of what it does or doesn't do, I don't believe, and the members of our organizations don't believe, that Congress should just come in and at their own decision and will be able to overturn one state's particular law just because they don't like it. Um, It's interesting how some of these legislators, and I'm a diehard Republican, I voted for Donald Trump, I voted for him again in the last election, and I'm now seeing Republicans lead this. So that's, that's a little surprising. It wasn't ever surprising with Steve King because he was just a wild card and kind of a anomaly, but these are two good legislators, Roger Marshall and Ashley Henson, and I think that they um, have probably been misled by some of the proponents of this legislation, and I do hope that they are becoming more and more aware of the challenges that this can create and will create for the upcoming Farm Bill. You have to think about the fact that in the last two Farm Bills, when the 2013 bill came up for a vote, it failed on the House floor the first time. Mm -hmm. 2018, same thing happened again. It failed. There was a much greater margin than there is now. The margin's much tighter today. So the EATS Act can potentially sink the entire farm bill, and we don't want to see that happen. But you know what? As I said to the press the other day, um, one of the things for our members is that the farm bill doesn't do so much for them. It really is a bill that does a lot more for industrial agriculture. So they would rather see no farm bill at all than they had see a farm bill with the EATS Act in it. 
We are talking with Marty Irby, the president of Competitive Markets Action here today on AOA. And and Marty, you, you raised a few good things there. And, and I know that some of uh, the you know, proponents of this EATS Act, they have uh, you know said certain things about, well, with Prop 12, for instance, if some family farmers can't sell in California, what could that do to their operation? And to your point, you mentioned it feels like some of this has been blown up. So I, I guess I'll, I'll ask the question for a little more uh, of your rebuttal there. I mean, what if some of these things that are happening impact our family farmers and impact their bottom lines and, and put them out of business? I mean, so... I know this is a divisive issue, and, and I, I land neutral in this. So what would you say for some farmers who may be worried about some of this regulation that's going on? Well, you know, there are two sides to every coin, and I understand that. But again, those people don't necessarily have to sell to California. They can sell their products elsewhere. One of the things people should think about is that the Prop 12 law was passed in 2018. So a ton of pork producers all across America thought that they were going to be having to uh, sell pork to California under those specific standards. One such operation is Clemens Food Group in Pennsylvania, which is the home state of the House Agriculture Committee Chairman, Glenn Thompson. And Clemens Food Group refitted a ton of their operation to be able to sell to California. So now they have millions, if not tens of millions of dollars invested in a new type of production. And if this were nullified, they're just going to probably lose their business and a ton of money along the way. So, you know, that's something to think about is that this has been five years in the making since it was actually passed. And there are a ton of pork producers who would go out of business, but it's the pork producers who have refitted their outfits to be able to sell in California that would lose because the people who are not going to be complying with this law, they haven't refitted their outfits. They haven't made any changes. They're sitting here waiting to see what happens. So I see it as an impact that's far greater to those producers who have made the changes already that would be negatively impacted. One of the things I think that people you know, should pay attention to is the particular group I mentioned, Clemens Food Group in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. because they are a huge pork producer, but there are other states that have these same type of producers all the way around. And we've made the case about this to a number of people. We've got a huge coalition that is supporting this effort to defeat the EATS Act. And in fact, uh, we actually also hired former House Agriculture Committee Chairman Mike Conway. Uh, He has a lobbying firm now, Conway Graves, and he is working with us on this issue as well. Uh, He was very instrumental in the last farm bill uh, with the King Amendment and helping prevent that from being included in the final farm bill. Um, The good thing I am seeing today is We had a fly-in in July in Washington, D.C. We had 20 or 30 farmers here. We did 90 meetings in person, and there was overwhelming opposition among both Republicans and Democrats against the EATS Act. And just after that, even the leader of the bill, I've never seen a member of Congress do this in my 10 years of lobbying, Roger Marshall went on RFD TV and was discussing the EATS Act, and he point blank said, we're getting the heck beat out of us. So I think we're winning. I think we're going to win. We can't put down our swords. We have to keep up the fight, and we have to leave no stone unturned. But we are going to continue this fight and make sure that our state laws are upheld. President of Competitive Markets Action, Marty Irby, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We appreciate it. Always. Thank you, Jesse, so much. All right, up next, former Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman here on AOA. As an organ donor, your story 
doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, 
They require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here in studio. And joining us now, uh, this op-ed caught my eye here the other day, uh, titled, We Need to Stand with EPA Science on Crop Protection. The author of the op-ed was former Secretary of Agriculture under the Clinton administration, Dan Glickman. And he joins us here today on AOA. And uh, Dan, it's great to talk with you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Delighted to be with you. And where I am right now, the weather is good and we're not having oppressive heat. So I feel good. Well, I I know where I'm at. We are having oppressive heat, so you are one of the lucky ones, sir. Uh, but hopefully uh, everyone doing their best to stay cool here during uh, the hottest temperatures of the year, no doubt. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about your op-ed. I thought this was very pertinent. It's obviously a hot topic, a major topic in agriculture is looking at crop protection and and some of the regulations surrounding crop protection and also you know really it seemed like the heart of your op-ed looking at states efforts to undermine EPA's authority on pesticide labeling I know we have the bipartisan agricultural labeling uniformity act in Congress right now so can you just start there and, and talk a little bit about just the overall what your op-ed what you were what you were talking about there well, thank you. First of all, there's no question that, uh, that the crop inputs, uh, and how we regulate them have become more and more, I guess, controversial and difficult, uh, for regulators over the last several years. And we've had some issues involving the glyphosate issue, but others as well. And I guess my point in all of this was, is I became concerned that there were too, seemed like there were too many regulators with their hands in the regulatory pie, so to speak, and confusing uh, farmers, uh, confusing a lot of people in agriculture, when in fact the EPA has the, I believe, the national and ultimate authority on, on the regulatory side. And I just made want to make the point, it's not good for agriculture to have both the EPA and state regulatory authorities at cross purposes with each other. And uh, so I, I just, I, it's not just with this particular issue, it's with a lot of issues involving agriculture where we need a consistent uh, system of regulations. Well, and I think about that consistent system of regulations, and that's a great point because I would think about it, say you have a farmer who maybe uh, lives on the Illinois-Iowa border, for instance, and he has land in both states. 
Well, if he has different state regulations, he doesn't necessarily know what he, you know, what he can and can't do uh, between his different farms. So, I mean, you, you think about things like that, just overall, it would seem like that that makes a great case to not have a lot of the state influence, but rather, you know, take the science from the EPA. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are some things where I think it's appropriate the states can have an involvement in, but the regulation of pesticides and crop inputs is a is a national and global issue, and so you don't want myriad and complex, complicated and conflicting regulations. Uh, as you said, you could have one state that wants to do one set of regulations and another state wants to do another. Now, the, the truth is, is that the EPA is a pretty strong regulator. And lot, over the years, a lot of farmers haven't liked what the EPA has done. But in this case, I think the EPA has got a long history of regulating these uh, uh, crop inputs. Uh, they have a uh, uh, very serious set of rules about how you apply these inputs. And you've got, of course, comply with that, then it's on the labeling of the particular uh, product that's being used. And if you follow those regulations, then in fact, uh, I think that the government has pointed out that the products are safe when they're applied in the way that the EPA is so implemented. So you don't want to see uh, a lot of states mucking around with this to do a conflicting regulations. And that, that is, I think, my main point. U.S. Representative Dusty Johnson from South Dakota and Jim Costa from California were the ones that introduced the Agricultural Labeling Uniformity Act back in June. And I know the current law is, is FIFRA, Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide right. Act. So would this be, if this legislation were to go through, would it be taking the place of FIFRA then, Dan? My guess is probably, I'm not an expert on it, but it'd probably be adding some clarifying language to the FIFRA statute, which okay. regulates the the pesticide application. And, you know, look, right now we're in a period where there's a lot of litigation about this particular subject. Um, and, there, you know, this, you just turn on TV and you'll see a lot of ads running about th this subject. So there's a lot of strong feelings. There are a lot of, there's a lot of legal implications. There are a lot of lawyers involved in these particular cases. I understand that. But I guess my main point is, is that the, the EPA is a pretty strong regulator. And in this context, I have confidence and what they're doing is the correct thing. Well, we are talking with former Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman here on AOA Today. And uh, great points you raised and uh, a lot of things, I think, for folks to consider. Uh, Dan, as well, I know uh, we're in the middle of uh, farm bill season. I know you, of course, uh, had work on, on Capitol Hill and in the White House, you know, talking about new farm bills and more and, and looking at where things stand. I mean, what, what's your take on, on what's going on with the farm bill right now, if you wouldn't mind uh, maybe sharing a little bit with us? Well, I was involved with the six farm bills, both as a congressman and as well as Secretary of Agriculture. And we, uh, when I was there, we always seemed to get it done. They were, in a, they were bipartisan. We had a good coalition between rural and urban interests, between, let's say, traditional farm programs and the feeding programs such as SNAP or the old food stamp program. And now we seem to have uh, much more ideological divisions that occur. And there are some who don't want to see any farm bill unless there are major SNAP or food stamp cuts. And there are some who I think want to break that uh, bridge between rural and urban interests, which would be a terrible mistake on my part. So I hope it gets done as soon as possible. I think it's probably going to be deferred for a while. I think that we can cope with some deferral, even though I don't want to see it, 
through the end of the year. But if it goes much longer, it is very harmful for American agriculture. So we, we do need to get a bill passed. We definitely need to get a bill passed. We'll be watching to see how things progress. And uh, the link to uh, your op-ed as well, we're going to post that on our website if folks want to read that and uh, check that out as well. And we really do appreciate a few minutes of your time here today on AOA, former Secretary of Agriculture and former U.S. Congressman Dan Glickman. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. We'll have to uh, get you back on the show again soon. Delighted. Anytime, call me. I'm, I'm available. Well, we do appreciate it again. Former Secretary of Agriculture under the Clinton administration, Dan Glickman. We're out of time here on AOA today. Coming up on our next episode, we'll be broadcasting live for the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.